When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to a weekend Buckeye Talk. It's the Monday Buckeye Talk, but we're not saving it till Monday. We're going to drop it earlier, but there's not going to be another pot until Tuesday. So we do five a week. This is how we're doing it. Doug Lamery, Stephen Means, Rapid Fire. We haven't done it in a while, and people have a lot of questions because um, I attended an event, an NIL event at Ohio State on Thursday morning that was pretty revealing about where things are with Ohio State and name, image, and likeness. And so we have a lot of questions about that. We also have some off-topic questions, not off-topic, just off-NIL stuff about the team, a couple little nonsense things. We're going to talk about recruiting, Stephen, as it relates to NIL, because there are, I think, some important things here, but more specific questions about the 2023 class sort of like just the state of it, who else might join. We'll save those for a little bit later in the week because next Tuesday, next Wednesday, some more recruiting camps. We did a pod this past week, Stephen, where we came off the first camp day and there was a lot of news. There were Mm -hmm. six or seven offers that went out. There were interesting people there. And would you expect that the next couple recruiting camps might even be newsier, right? Is that possible? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, there's always going to be one camp where it's just star studded and everybody that you love from not necessarily 2023, but like the next year. So 2024, there will probably be a lot of star studded guys. Um, As we talked about on that pod, there's going to be quarterbacks here all the time. So, yeah, there's always going to be news, even if every time it isn't two hours worth of news. But there will be a pod at some point where it's going to be like there were 35 five stars here. Yeah. So we'll we'll keep those pod slots open to react to those things in the moment. But we wanted to get this to you because we haven't talked to you since I went to that NIL event on Thursday morning. And I think probably a lot of people listening know what I'm talking about, but I'll explain it. So Ryan Day, Gene Smith, and Carrie Hoyt. She is the associate athletic director who is sort of tasked over with overseeing Ohio State's name, image, and likeness programs. They're the, the three sort of big movers and shakers in NIL for Ohio State. They were part of a panel at an event uh, at 8 o'clock Thursday morning in the Covelli Center, which is the new wrestling building on campus, that was aimed at business people in Columbus. 
And somewhere along the way, I have had discussions with people since I attended it to sort of be like, how was I there? And I did. I thought maybe I got an email. Full disclosure, I bought season tickets for Ohio State football this year for the first time because my daughter, who is a big sports fan, has never been to an Ohio State-Michigan game. And she's very interested in the Ohio State-Notre Dame game. And so it's like, well, if she wants to go to those two games, it was like, it's probably cheaper just to get season tickets and then figure out the other ones later. So I've never been a season ticket holder before. So I have gotten a couple emails along the way as a season ticket holder that I, I never got before. So I thought maybe it was that, and it feels like maybe it wasn't that. I might have just seen it on Twitter with somebody that I follow that was like, hey, we're having an NIL event for businesses, sign up. And I signed up. So whatever it was, Stephen, I signed up to go to this NIL event for Columbus business leaders. I put in my real name, little Dougie LaMaurice. I put Doug LaMaurice. I didn't put Douglas. I don't usually go by Douglas. Doug. Can your last year, when you know you're going to retire, when we put in for credentials, can you put in little Dougie? Yeah. And then, but then no last name. Yeah. Then I'm just little Dougie. Yes. Yeah. 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 Which is, of course, would be my rap name. Oh. I've been waiting for this. I have a better rap name. I can't believe my daughter said this to me a couple weeks ago. It had never been said to me before. And it blew my mind when she said it. So we were talking about coffee. This is my daughter who just graduated high school and is getting ready to head off to college. She's not a coffee drinker yet, but we were talking about coffee, right? Are you a coffee drinker at all, Stephen? Um, during the season, yes. So there are times, right? I think a lot of people maybe make the transition from non-coffee drinker to coffee drinker. Maybe when you go to college and you're trying to stay up late or you're tired or whatever, right? So we're talking about coffee and I drink uh, Dunkin' Donuts coffee in the morning. I don't go to Dunkin' Donuts, but that's the bag of coffee I get at the store. And I always get flavored, right? I I don't just drink it plain. So I either get hazelnut or I get French vanilla. And I was explaining that to my daughter and I said, French vanilla. And she said, why isn't that your nickname? And I was like, nobody has ever said that to me before, but I am French vanilla. And there is a part of me that is astounded that I am 48 years old and only right now discovering that in my heart of hearts, Stephen, and your mouth, your, you, your mouth dropped. Yeah. How, I mean, I am French vanilla, am I not? And it's perfect because you're in your 40s. Like, I don't know if it works as well when you're 17, but yeah. to start a rap career at like 45, it's like French vanilla. Okay, we know what this guy's about here. It's not serious yeah. rap. It's just for sheer entertainment. So if anybody, I know people sometimes now in the text, every now and then people call me little Dougie in the text. You may address me as French vanilla. Steven, when you talk to me on the pod, when you see me in real life, you may address me as French vanilla. Anyone, Ryan Day. Can address CJ Stroud could address me as French vanilla. I will take it as a first reference. I couldn't believe it. It was like life changing. How did I get this far without being French vanilla? So anyway, I signed up not as French vanilla, but as Doug Maurice. And it said, put in your business. I put cleveland.com and I submitted it. And they said that was it. And then I got two reminder emails like, hey, like, like don't forget to come to this event. So I went to the event. I signed it. I got there. I was on a list. Um, my name was on a list. And they get, I had a placard for cleveland.com. It's like, go put it on your table to represent your business. So they knew I was there. 
So it wasn't like a media event, but they knew I was there. I kind of just hung around. I didn't go schmooze with people beforehand. But then when it started, I went down and sat at a table in the back corner by myself. And I listened and I recorded it. And I listened to everything they say. They said it. So there was 100 people. They had room for 200 people. There were 26 tables of eight that were set up. But when I counted the people that were there, it was more around 100. Um, and they had a half an hour panel with Gene Smith and Ryan Day and Carrie Hoyt. And they answered all these questions. And right at the end of it, Ryan Day said, and the thing was interesting, Stephen, is he sort of interjected. They were sort of wrapping it up. And Ryan Day like mm. gave the moderator, the, the, raised his finger and said, I, I have one more thing to say. And that's when Ryan Day said, I believe to keep our football roster together. And he was not talking about getting recruits. He was talking about our current players at the end, at the end of this coming season. So he's thinking when this 2022 season ends in January, when the season's over, they all could go in the portal. You could just put your name in the portal. This was a key. This is the, the scenario that he outlined, Stephen. He said they can all go in the portal. And the minute they go in the portal, they can be contacted by other teams. And those other teams can contact them and say, hey, are you interested in transferring? If you transfer to us, this is the NIL deal that we could have set up for you. So that's the world that Ryan Day is talking about. He's thinking about offers that current Buckeyes to get, could get from other teams with name, image, and likeness situations. And he said, to keep our roster together, we need $13 million. And Ryan Day said, so the going rate, he didn't use the phrase going rate, but he's talking about NIL, name, image, and likeness, opportunities, money that players can make. He said, a top-shelf quarterback is about $2 million that a guys like that can get an NIL. And he said, offensive tackles, edge rushers, it's about a million. So that's what he spelled out. And once he said those specifics, Stephen, that's like we, we've been sort of scuttling around with NIL. But when mm. Ryan Day put a number on it, I mean, my obviously, my ears went up. I, I, people in that room, there were some good questions that people asked. And then I did say hello to Ryan Day. Like Ryan Day knew I was there afterward. They didn't know I was there that I was while they were speaking. So the one thing about this, Stephen, is when Nick Saban said his things last week about Texas A&M that got everybody fired up, that was, at a, that was at a, an event. It was not a media event. It was speaking to business leaders, but there was media there. And when you're, they, when you're speaking to a business community about money and that we need your help, people get real honest. It's not mm -hmm. a news conference, but it's public. It's public. So... That's how this got out. It wasn't their plan necessarily, but they said it publicly. And if no media had been there, it was going to get out because people in that room would have said, hey, yeah. you know, so anyway, just how it happened. That's how it happened. We're going to get into that $13 million number, what it means. But, you know, I think in the end, I got a couple phone calls. People were curious about me being there. But Stephen, the bottom line is Ryan Day at Ohio State want this out. Ryan Day used the word transparent when he was speaking to the business leaders. I want to be transparent about this. This is how this stuff is working. And I think people like Ryan Day, like they, they not that they're tired of hiding, but it's like, listen, man, I always say you got to live in the world. Mm -hmm. He's trying to live in the world of what he believes it will take for Ohio State to continue to be Ohio State. What's your take, Stephen, on sort of how all of this unfolded? And what Ryan Day said publicly to this group of 100 business leaders. Yeah, it's very similar to when he was hiring his staff. And now he talked about 
obviously he wasn't that transparent with it because he's talking to the media. So it's a little game you have to play. But the idea of like, you got to pay your assistance if you want to keep up. If you want to have the best of the best, you're going to have to shelve out the money. And that's why Jim Knowles is here making almost $2 million as a defensive coordinator. Now it's on the NIL collectives, on the businesses around Columbus. It's like, okay, we did our part. We've got the staff. But if we want to compete every single year, you have to pay for it, whether it's paying assistant coaches, whether it's paying players at this point. And Ohio State cannot directly pay the players, but Wendy's can. Yeah. You know, Express can. UDF can. And that's really these local businesses around here can. And that's really what he's getting at is, listen, if you want to win a national championship, this is what it's going to cost you. And he might have honestly look. Now, I'm, I'm sitting here doing the figures in my head. $13 million might be lowballing it. So if you break it up by 85 scholarship players, that's about 150 grand per player. But mm-hmm. that's not really what it is because it's no. not it's not that all 85 scholarship players are going to have NIL situations. I, in the story that I wrote about it, just said it's more like half a million each for the top 26 guys you can't live without. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's probably more like a million for four or five guys and then half a million for another 15 to 18, right? So, but mm-hmm. that's what we're talking about. The gu- the difference makers, the guys that are going to be pursued by other schools. And what Gene Smith and, and Ryan Day also said is, and I think this is important in that it feels like they just want to keep up until this gets sorted out. And the time frame that Gene Smith and Ryan Day talked about on the panel was two and a half to three years of like, it's kind of, they, they all talked about the NCAA has basically abdicated responsibility on this. It actually is against NCAA rules to induce recruits to come to your school with NIL. That's not mm-hmm. allowed, but it's happening and it's not being enforced. So while they get this sorted out, I think what Gene Smith and Ryan Day and other people in college sports hope for is a world where maybe we get to a point where there's a breakoff top tier. You have to you have to have a lot of money that you're willing to put on the table to play in that poker game. But everybody agrees this is the buy-in. This is the buy-in. And now we can set some rules. And now we can have some regulations. But you have to compete until you get to that point. And they think it's two to three years away. But in the meantime, if you're naive or lax with your NIL pursuits, you're going to get lapped. And again, I am telling you, this is what Ryan Day said publicly to 100 people that he is trying to encourage to support name, image, and likeness opportunities for Ohio State athletes. He said it's like the speed limit. The speed limit's 45, and you go 45, a lot of people are going to pass you by. That's basically Mm -hmm. a direct quote from Ryan Day. But he said, if you go too fast, people are going to get pulled over. So there might be some schools, and Gene used the word unscrupulous characters, right? And he said, unscrupulous characters are pretty good at doing what they need to do. So Nick Saban, when he talked, said specific names. He said Texas A&M. Ohio State did not say specific names, but they said unscrupulous characters. They said schools that to them, that means schools that are directly using NIL for recruiting inducements, which is what you're not supposed to do. So Ohio State doesn't want to get pulled over, but they might want to go 53 in a 45. If it's a bright, sunny day and there's no cops around, maybe 57 or 58. You know, now they're not going going 60 in a residential. They're not going to hit 100 on the highway. But in a 45, that's... Go with the flow. 
go with the flow of traffic. traffic. You got to go. That's a really good way of saying it too. You got to go with the flow of traffic. And you don't want to be the fastest car on the road. And at Ohio State, the way they presented it, they don't think they have to be the fastest car on the road to compete. They and Gene said, "We if kid if there's a player who just wants to get paid, we probably aren't going to recruit that player." That's what Gene Smith said. They still are tying the NIL opportunities to actual things. They had a video screen. That was, mm-hmm. And they were saying, here are the things that you can do with NIL, autograph signings, brand endorsement, um, camps, that kind of thing. That, and and th- this was, was a specific presentation that was a new thing. It's a brand ambassador program that they presented to Columbus businesses. They had a 10-page color brochure explaining this. And what they basically want is a business to say, we're going to have – we're going to basically hire this Ohio State athlete as a brand ambassador. There might be an internship component to that. We teach them about our business, but they also promote our business. And that business works out an agreement, not with Ohio State, but with that individual athlete. And Ryan Day said there is a current player that Ohio State is recruiting who is interested in coming to Ohio State. And and this player has a real estate interest. And Ryan Day is very interested in a real estate company potentially setting up an opportunity with a player like that, where he can be involved in the business, he can learn about the business, and then he can be paid by the business and also promote that business. And Ohio State, they don't, to to the the way they're explaining it, and Stephen, it can be a, a tough needle to thread. And I think some people can listen to this and be like, okay, I, Ohio State likes to thread needles. They really do. This is, they are in the business of needle threading. They are everything at once. They want to compete at the highest level while holding on to their Big Ten values. And, mm-hmm. and which, which way the seesaw tips, which one's higher or lower at a certain time, I think changes. But they don't want to just say, here's a million dollars to recruit here. Here's a million dollars. But they want to be able to say, okay, we understand there are other schools that might be doing that. So we want to be able to say, here's a brand ambassadorship program with a real estate company in Columbus that just might happen to pay you, and this is just me making up numbers, $650,000. Now, it's not a million, but it's not nothing. It's enough if you want to be here. You're also saying, while you want to be here, you're also saying, well, what's the NIL deal? And if you say, if Ohio State says, well, we don't really have anything for you, the kid might not come. But so Ohio State doesn't think it has to outbid people, but it has to offer something. They don't have to be the fastest car on the road, but they can't be the slowest. And so this is, again, they made a brochure, Stephen. They made a brochure. I I, I sent the, the text. I sent a page of the brochure to the texters. By the way, first people in the country who knew about this stuff, other than texters. me, were our texters. They had it. I usually we don't text before 10 a.m., I texted before 10 a.m. because I had to get this to people. And then I wrote the story. And I knew this was going to be a big story, and it is. Everybody in college sports has retweeted it. I mean, like, it's just – Yeah, congratulations, I just man. To, I mean, I just happened – I just showed up. Half a life is showing up. I didn't do anything. It wasn't like great reporting. I just showed up. But the texters got it first, 614-350-3315. 614-350-3315. I felt good about – providing information to our texters that day, just like I felt good about the information that, that you texted out when we were at the recruiting camp on Wednesday. It's been a good week for the texters. Get in, two-week free trial. So that's where this thing is. That's how it happened. 
and we have a lot of questions about it. We're not only going to do NIL. I know that I previously on this podcast, Stephen, have said things like, I don't want to talk about NIL that much. And uh, immediately when I texted the stuff out on Thursday morning, one <laughs> of the people texted back and was like, oh, so now, now you want to talk about NIL? It's like, yeah, I want to talk about NIL when it gets interesting. This is interesting. This is specific. Mm-hmm. This affects on the field. I don't want to just talk about like, hey, an offensive lineman got $5,000 to promote a taco. Great. Wonderful. Tell me how it affects the game on the field and, and let's get down to brass tacks. And both those things are happening right now. So now it does get interesting. When we come back, we will get into a couple, not a couple, a lot of questions from the tech subscribers. I hope we're explaining this. Okay. Steven, along the way, if I'm missing some gaps and trying to explain, Oh, this happened or what happened. I kind of can't remember what I've written, what I've texted, what I've said on a radio interview, what I've said on a pod keep me straight here, but we'll get to some other stuff too. We'll do it next on Buckeye talk. All right. Back on Buckeye talk. Uh, A lot of questions. Important one off the top that I wanted to start with though. Um, Because as, as people know, uh, Steven was out for a bit from the four one nine, Steven, did you miss doing the pod as much as we missed you? And what all did you do? While you were out, did you actually, uh, I'll I'll add this part. And I think the answer is at least partially yes. Did you listen to the pod while you were out? So, so uh, did you miss podcasting, Stephen? Yes. And yes to both of those questions. Um, Not every day. I I kept up. I more binged it. So I would listen to two or three episodes at a a time while I was doing other stuff. Um, But yes, I did. I, I have a, I like my job. So yes, I did miss Doing my doing the pod and writing and reporting. I mean, I cover a, I cover a child's game for a living. You know, I don't really have anything to complain about in life from that standpoint. So yes, I did miss my job. I did miss potting. I did miss arguing about random stuff and hearing the old white man analogies that I don't understand whatsoever. Yeah. Yes, I did miss it. Yeah, I mean, I could have called you up and just dropped some on you in the course of that anyway. And been <laughs> like, hey, Stephen, has anybody in your life mentioned Jim Gaffigan today? No. All right, let me do that for you. Um, you do miss uh, forcing your opinions on people. Yes. Right. It's it, like, especially during that time, because there was like a lot happening. It's like, yeah, yes, I'm gone for 10 days and college football explodes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For real. No, I mean, it is, it is a, uh, you, this wrapped audience that you guys can't escape. You guys, there's nowhere you can go. So, I mean, you could turn it off, but the pod's still out there in the world. So mm-hmm. yes, you do get, a, you start to Jones a little bit for the pod when you're not doing it. All right. 614. When Ryan Day says they need $13 million, does that mean $13 million annually? Is that doable? And can you sustain that? Can you do it every year? This is from the 505. Do you guys, Doug and Steven, think Ohio State and the collectives will be able to raise the $13 million? Is the $13 million per class sustainable for the long term? Okay. So this is nitty gritty stuff a little bit. One thing is, I think the way Ohio State is seeing it is nothing is long-term. This is how to stay afloat for now until it gets sorted out. And maybe when it's sorted out, it's more, but at least it'll be maybe a little more regulated. I think a lot of this stuff, people want opportunities with some regulation, with some level playing field and level in quotes, right? But at least rules that Mm -hmm. people are going to try to follow with a little bit of enforcement. So the $13 million, Ohio State, you look, Stephen, at what they get in donations to the athletic mm-hmm. department per year. It's like $40, $50 million a year, okay? The thir- and I did get a little bit of clarification on some things. 
after the after it's this is not 1000% just based on what I heard during the event. I also checked in with some people. The $13 million number that Ryan Day said at the event, that is collectives, which are that there are two current two collectives outside of the athletic department right now. One is called the Cohesion Foundation. One is called the Foundation. Mm-hmm. And they are operating. They have boards. There are lots of former Ohio State players. Urban Myers on one of the boards. Big swingers from former board of trustees member on the boards. These are big time people who are on the boards of these collectives. One of them, and I'll, I'll give you the information that I'm not in the business of raising money for Ohio State, but I think like it is providing information to you guys who are listening. The $13 million includes the outside collectives. But and it also includes this new brand ambassador program that Ohio State is starting. Now, this is not through Ohio State. This is Ohio State linking up outside businesses and athletes. It is not the business giving money to Ohio State, but it is Ohio, it is Ohio State helping directly to coordinate, which is allowable now. There's been some back and forth on like what can a school do, what, what a school can't do. This brand ambassadorship program by Ohio State is Ohio State's most directly involved thing. So that would be part of it too. So if maybe one collective gets 4 million and one collective gets 5 million and then Ohio State, the brand ambassadorship program, they link up things. They are talking that they were talking to big hitters, Stephen, in this thing, because they're thinking about, hey, we want a business that's willing to go to a big time athlete and set up a big time association, right? This was not, hey, cleveland.com, do you want to get a $50 sponsorship with mm-hmm. That a walk on on the football roster who would take 50 bucks to, to say, I listen to Buckeye talk. That's not what they're talking about here. They're talking about big time stuff. Everything else is still outside the collective. So when you think about Steven, 40, 50, right? 40, 50 million per year, that's donations to the athletic department. Can they get 13 for this? I think, yes. I think you can see how that could happen, right? That, that number doesn't sound outrageous in what they can raise. And I have a point about that, but what was your reaction to that? Because again, the specificity of the number is what made this a story. What did you think of that $13 million number? Yeah, I said it before. I think you lowballed it, but it's a start because you don't think it's long-term and it shouldn't be that difficult for Ohio State because the Ohio State University in itself has like the largest alumni base in the country and yep. maybe in the world. So it's just like, I mean, you already see it a lot of times with these with these different collectives. They're all over Twitter and all over the place, you know, asking for donations already. And you're asking for donations from the biggest fan base and the biggest alumni base in the world. And so, I mean, if everybody let's just this is not how this is going to work, obviously. But it, let's just say everybody who has a degree from Ohio State gave a dollar. You could get 13 million dollars pretty easily. And that's without adding in some of the more famous, successful alumni and just like fans of Ohio State football who were millionaires. So I had that as the last question, but we'll do it now from the 812. If every Buckeye fan sends the athletic department $10, will that cover the $13 million day says is needed to keep the roster intact? I'm willing to shell out to stay competitive in this new NIL world. So first of all, you can't send it to the athletic department. Mm-hmm. You need to send it to a collective yep. because you because Ohio State is not paying players. You cannot do that. They can set up. They can help a business set up an opportunity mm-hmm. with a current athlete, but they're not going to set up. Steve wants to give $10 to a player. So if you want to do that, 
you can give $10 to a collective and that will help them get to the $13 million. So when you look, and I'll just do this now because I was poking around, this is where it gets not dicey, but interesting. The uh, one of the websites for one of the foundations, it's the foundationohio.com. They are, they were the first foundation. This is Brian Schottenstein, um, Cardale Jones, the people on this board, other people are uh, on this board. Urban's D'Angelo Russell, Rick Reichert, yeah. uh, the, the car guy, Urban, JT Barrett, Terry McLaurin, another Schottenstein, Will Allen, the former player, Steve Stivers, former member of Congress. That's the people on their board. Okay. They are set up and ready to go. You can go to the foundational. And again, I feel like I'm trying to rate, I'm not, I'm trying to give you information. I dare, you guys are Ohio state fans. And if you care about this, I'm trying to help you with doing something you might care about the foundation, They have a donate button and you click on that donate button and it says support the foundation, choose a donation amount below or enter your own amount. And these are the amounts that they have listed. Steven, this is interesting. 20, 50, hundred, 500, 5,000. So they'll take a nickel but they also understand there are some big hitters who might come to this site. If you are an individual fan who wants to help Ryan Day and Ohio State get to the $13 million number, this is how you would do that. The other foundation is the Cohesion Foundation. It's cohesionfoundation.com. They have a thing on their website that says website coming soon. Um, they are a little newer. There have they have ways to give it's donate by credit card, donate by wire transfer, donate by mail. They are not quite on the click the button with the amount stage yet, but they're coming. There is uh, a Nicholas involved with this. Gary Nicholas, one of Jack Nicholas's sons, is the vice president of this. Uh, Robert Schottenstein is funny to me, and it's probably worth a story. The Schottensteins are on two different foundations, the kids are in the foundation, Robert Schottenstein, the dad who was formerly the president of the Board of Trustees, he's with Cohesion Foundation. John H. McConnell, that's the Blue Jackets. That's Worthington Industries. He's Cohesion Foundation. Other names you know, Adam Griffin, Archie's son, former Ohio State football player, Zach Boren, Jeff Hireman, former Buckeye players. They're Cohesion Foundation. You can donate to them. So that's how an individual fan can do something right now because it's not the athlete. I just... There's a line here, Stephen, of like, I think people understand it, but some people are confused by it. And I would include the some people I would put myself in that category. The athletic department cannot pay players. You cannot donate to the athletic department with the expectation that the athletic department can give money to players. They can't do that. It's all outside right now. When I had Gene Smith on, I said, is there a world where the collective someday can move inside the athletic department? He thinks that's interesting. Then all of a sudden, it's not these outside people who were in charge of the collectives and giving out the money. Mm. It's people in the athletic department. You'd have an associate athletic director who's in charge of the collective and distributing the money. That's not where this is. If you want to help, if you are not a business that wants to set up like a big time direct relationship with the player, if you're that, you can go through Ohio State. If you are an individual fan with a couple bucks in your pocket and you want to help in this way, the collectives are what you do. And those are the two that exist right now. I can't vouch for either of them. The, the, I gave you the websites and you can go there and explore and figure out what to do, but it all is going to wind up doing the same thing, Stephen, which, which is again, 
That's all under the $13 million umbrella that Ryan Day is talking about. He's talking about it all. It's just money that can get to football players. And again, they are interested in there being more than money. They want there to be autograph signings. They want there to be, hey, you're working with us. Go do this charitable event. That the, the collectives themselves, if it's not a brand ambassadorship with a direct company, it's the collective can set those things up. Hey, we're giving you this much money, but we do want you to go to a boys and girls club. Mm-hmm. Hey, we're giving you this much money, but we do want you to go to a food kitchen. Ohio State likes that. They really, they say at least, Ohio State says they really don't want collectives saying, here's a million bucks, see you later. That's not what they want. Now, no, they're not in charge of the collectives. They can't, nobody's in charge of the collectives other than the collectives. But I think the collectives have also at Ohio State have said they are less interested in, here's $750,000, see you later, and are more interested in, we have a relationship, you do some things in the community, and we pay you a lot of money. You know, it's, you're not getting paid 15 bucks an hour. It's like, oh, what are you getting paid? Hey, what did you get paid for your, uh, for your two hours at the Boys and Girls Club? It's like, oh, I made, I made $75,000 an hour. It's like, okay, well, it's, uh, it's ridiculous, but at least there's something to that. So anyway, does that make sense, Stephen? What do you, and what do you think of that? That's how NIL was supposed to work. And that's what Ohio State wants it to work like. It's an endorsement deal. We see it all the time with professional athletes to the point of, oh, you got paid $75,000 for two hours of work. Yeah, that's how endorsement deals often work. It's turned into come to our school and we'll give you X amount of money and just like go play football. But no, this is how it was supposed to work. You said that these collectives have just, you know, organized how these players can get certain endorsement deals. But the point is, CJ Stroud and Jackson Smith, the Jigba have an endorsement deal with express where they went, they took some pictures, they were in some ads. There's probably going to be some commercials when we get to the season and they got paid to do it. And they got some free clothes. That's how this is supposed to work. And that's what Ohio state's trying to do. Is it going to work long-term? Who knows? We'll see. Maybe Ohio, maybe six months from now, these collectors will look at it and go, that's not enough. We just need to give these players $2 million so we can get the next five-star quarterback, even if he doesn't do anything for that money. But right now, that's the intent, is to organize a way for these players to get endorsement deals while working with the schools so that the schools don't have to pay them and can't pay them. From the 419, the way NIL is rolling out, it doesn't seem like it is providing the players a piece of the revenues made by the university. Instead, it seems like the universities are just asking for more money to enter the pot. Do I have this right? And doesn't that undermine the point that a bunch of administrators are getting filthy rich off of players who don't share in the revenue? I'm just wondering, are we still kicking that can down the road? Yes, you are right. Yes. But here's where the rubber hits the road a little bit. You can go online to these two Ohio State collectives and click buttons to donate to them. You can also go to Ohio State's website, you can go to give to OSU, uh, give to.osu.edu, and you can give money there. And there is an athletic department page where you can specifically choose the sport that you want to give money to. Ohio State gets 40 to $50 million a year in athletic department donations. So some of those are big time donations from big time donors who donate because they have the means, because they love the school, and because they want a little, maybe more than a little influence. But a lot of those also, just like with everything, there's grassroots. 
50 bucks here, 20 bucks here, 50 bucks there. They'll take money from everybody. You love Ohio State? You want to support your sports team that you love? Whether it's swimming or lacrosse or football, you can make a direct donation to that. So if you used to give $100, Stephen, to the Ohio State football team, and you want to support football, you want to support football, and you want to support winning football, you now have two ways to do that. You can give $100 to Ohio State that they can't give to players. They can build a building with it. They can pay a coach with it. They can put a waterfall in the locker room. They can redo the turf. They can't pay a player. Or you can give that $100 to a collective that can pay a player. And the head coach just said, we need $13 million to make sure we can still have the best players. So it's not a piece of the pie. It's not a piece of the pie. It's a different pie. It's a different pie. And maybe you used to make this much money on pies, and now next door, a cupcake shop opened. Is your pie revenue going to be as high? Because now there's two ways to get your dessert. It's not a piece of the pie, but if the goal is for everybody to get a little sugar, you might indirectly, the players are getting some sugar and the school might get less sugar. So it's not as simple as, to, as giving them a piece of the pie, but it might kind of work out that way. But it's a, it is a complicating factor. And it's a little bit of why I feel like Ohio State at the moment is maybe going different speeds at the same time. But that's how it works. Right, Stephen? I mean, and that's Mm -hmm. it's clunky. All of this is clunkier than it should be because the NCAA has completely abdicated responsibility and the amateur sports as a whole in college slow played this whole thing until they drove themselves off a cliff. So nobody to blame but themselves. But that's how it's working right now. And although it's clunky, you also can see how it could actually kind of work until they get this figured out in a better way. My only interesting thing here now is the collectives are strictly football and men's basketball most of the time, because those are the two sports that make money at regardless of what, you know, university we're talking about or school we're talking about. So if you want to support winning football, <clears throat> that means going out and getting the best players, which means that you'll probably say you have a hundred dollars and you don't want to give a hundred dollars here and a hundred dollars here. You don't want to split it. You just want to support one thing. If you want to support winning football, you almost be more inclined to give your hundred dollars to the collective because you know that's going to something football related. But if you give your hundred dollars to the athletic department, it's going to the athletic department, which isn't always football. Sometimes it can be tennis or baseball or track or whatever, whatever needs the money at the time. And right now, Ohio State has enough money where they're they're building buildings all over the place, even if we are coming off a COVID year where, you know, they were in the red a little bit like everybody else around the world. So it's almost like, do you want to know you? Do you want to know your money's going towards football or do you want to know it might go towards football? And then what starts to happen to some of these other athletic programs, if more, if the collective start getting more money than the actual athletic department is getting. And But even, as we said, you can direct it on the Ohio State website. You can direct it mm. to a sport. But even if you direct it to a sport, you can't direct it to players. Mm-hmm. So, so what you did before is if you donated to football, you were directing it towards enticements for players. You were directing mm-hmm. it towards locker rooms. 
you were directing it towards, um, you know, the, the cafe and the Woody where they can go get a good meal. You were directed all the things that used to matter in recruiting, but now you can directly direct it towards let's give money to a player. So I do think that's why Ohio state seems to be going two speeds at once because the athletic department, I don't think athletic departments as a whole are at the point, Stephen, where it's like, Oh no, that's fine. We'll tell it's fine. If we get $20 million less, per year in donations Mm -hmm. and they go to collectives. That's perfectly fine. I don't think they're there yet. So at the moment, the person's asking piece of the pie. There's it's not piece of pie. They just want more. Well, is it that they expect you to give more or is it that you're going to give the same amount? You're just not going to give it here. You are going to give it there. So the football coach, and listen, this is how this went down at the panel. They were wrapping up, and Ryan Day made the point at the end. Ryan Day wanted to get this point out there. So Ryan Day is not in charge of the whole athletic department budget. Ryan Day is in charge of his football team competing. That's not the same as 36 sports, $210 million budget, 1,000 athletes. That's a different thing. So I think they're on the, they're in the same book. The football program and the athletic department are reading the same book right now. I don't know if they're exactly on the same page. They're yeah. in different chapters a little bit. It doesn't mean that, that it's contentious. It just means they're at different spots along the way as everybody figures this out. Listen, I think they got, they got this thing together in about a month. And I had heard that some of the big-time coaches were having meetings with the Gene Smith and people in the athletic department about like, hey, we, we got to get some of this stuff figured out. So they got this together, right? But you know, if you're trying to win a football game and you're being paid to win football games, you might be – going at a different speed than the holistic 36 sport view. Mm-hmm. So in the end, does it, ex- do they, in the end, will the result be Ohio state football fans have to give $13 million more? I don't think that's the end result, Steven. I think maybe if you combine collective giving and Ohio state athletic department giving that number, let's say Ohio state last year, let's just say they got $50 million in donations. And now Ryan Day says we need $13 million to keep up for a football roster. Okay, so does that mean you'll get in this next year $50 million donated to the athletic department and $13 million to the collectives Mm -hmm. and brand ambassadorships? And you've gone collectively that Ohio State fans and donors out of pocket went from $50 million to $63 million. No, that would not be our expectation. But will it also be, well, now the athletic department only got $37 million and the collectors and the brand ambassadorship got 13 and it's still 50-50? I don't think it'll be that either. But it might be the athletic department went from 50 to 43 and they got mm-hmm. their third. That it goes up some, right? It's not – the $13 million doesn't all get taken out of athletic department giving, but it's not all in addition to athletic department giving. So I do think athletic departments are going to lose a little bit here, but they've got to be okay with that because in the end, the whole thing that people complained about Stephen is why are we building waterfalls in the locker room? It's because they have so much money. They don't know what to do with it. I think we might be done with waterfalls in the locker room because instead people are giving money to the collectives. So the players can get the money in their pockets. And where would you have money rather have it go pockets or waterfalls? People take pockets. And I think that's okay. Yeah, that also sounds good until Georgia puts a waterfall in their locker room. And then all of a sudden it's like we're still talking about teenagers here. And so like the smallest little thing that's cool to them might be the 
but but is that going to be the case anymore? Because the small little thing that's cool, how does that compare to yeah. one school's offering me 300 in NIL Fair. and another one's offering 850? So I, I think I think the small now, listen, you want to get to the league. You want to be comfortable with the coaches and players and staffers around you. Right. You want to, You don't want to go somewhere you hate. Right. And you don't want to go right. somewhere that you think long term is going to torpedo your opportunities to be a pro and make real money. But all the places where those two things fit, then an AL comes in in a place where, hey, this is a cool graphic in the hallway used to come in. I think that will come yeah. in less. So maybe you don't redo the wallpaper as much, but athletic departments are going to have to wrap their heads around that. And they're going to have to get okay with less, which is okay, but it's not snap your fingers instantaneous because they're going to want to hold on to as much of that as possible. So I do think, again, I just think we're going at a couple different speeds here. Let's do this one. From the 937, how happy do you think Ryan Day is that little Dougie got the word out that Ohio State is looking for $13 million a year for his players, also that they are looking for sponsors for their top recruiting targets? Um, like, again, they didn't know that. That wasn't the plan. But I think, yes, because Kevin Wilson retreated my story. <laughs> like, they're not hiding from it. They want it. Like, they want the reality out there. I think the football program wants the trans – view of the reality they don't want to hide from that and i i think there was maybe a belief that like people didn't quite get it this is i'm clarified steven are you clarified by this if we're clarified and we're we're supposed to be experts on this stuff imagine the people who run businesses in columbus and do care but maybe didn't quite have a handle on that imagine how clarified they are by we need 13 million dollars this was going to get out whether doug was there whether French Vanilla was there or not. Yes. It's just because he was there, we get the traffic. Thank you know, so we get some money, you know. Yeah. But yo, yeah, they wanted this out there. He wouldn't have said those figures to a public in a public setting if he didn't want this out there. Because he said it to the people that could do something about it. Yes. Right? So they invited everybody. They invited everybody they thought could do something about it. So that's the target audience, just like Nick Saban. And I'll get to this question now. I had this down a little bit lower. Uh First of all, let's do from the 203. Did you see the event as a cry for help with NIL? The chatter is that Ohio State donors like way behind SEC powers and won't deliver. Who are Ohio State's big donors? And then from the 336, is Day's pitch for NIL money just a classier form of what Nick Saban did a few weeks back? It's that they were talking to the same audience, Stephen. They said it in different ways, but the audience is people – with businesses and individual people with deep pockets who can do something about it. And I do think both Nick Saban and Ryan day with their approaches were of a belief that they didn't think the message was getting to the people that Mm -hmm. could do something about it, not clearly enough and not quickly enough. And then when they said what they said in very different ways, the message got very clear, very quickly. They said the exact same thing. It's just Nick Saban slipped up and actually said a school's name. But, you know, Ryan Day probably hinted at some schools and hinted at some players where if you're actually paying attention, you know exactly who he's talking about, even if he didn't say their name. That's the only from if you take out the fact that Nick Saban said Texas A&M paid for most of its 2021 2022 recruiting class. If you take that out, it's the same verbiage. It is. It really is. And, and, and Saban's message actually almost got lost in the few. Yes. And 
Ryan Day and Gene Smith avoided that. Again, Gene Smith is the one who used the word unscrupulous characters, right? He's And again, mm-hmm. who would that be? Oh, I wonder who that would be. Harvard? Right? <laughs> Stanford? Who's Who are the unscrupulous characters that we're talking about? So, you know, sometimes I like putting a name on it because when you, and we, you learn this in journalism, when you're too vague, you incriminate everybody. When you actually are talking about a specific person, just talk about them. So Saban did. Because we would, okay, well, who, who did Gene Smith and Ryan Day mean? But then because the feud started, Saban's message got lost. Ryan Day's message yeah. was loud and clear. Uh, this question from the 614, which is more tiring to talk about, middle manager coaches or NIL collectives, right? Like, again, I just, the, 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 what matters more? I would say, well, what matters more? Probably now that we have a little specificity on this, I mean, Jim Knowles matters a lot, but if Ohio State loses four players they really like in January because other teams offer them better NIL deals, that, depending who those players are, yeah. that's a bigger deal. So I don't like um, – it's one of those things, again, like with my, the middle manager coaches, I don't, act, I don't like acting like every assistant coach is incredibly vital to your program. Oh, my God, we can't lose that guy. The specific guys that make a difference, that truly make a difference, I'll have a Larry Johnson conversation. I'll have a Brian Hartline conversation. I'll have a Jim Knowles conversation about what the expectations are for Jim Knowles, Mm -hmm. given that they think he's a very specific person that they needed. Generally, move them in and out. Collectives generally, great, make money. I don't go, go sponsor tacos. How it affects winning, the specificity of this, like – are, do you like this conversation, Stephen, or are you bored by this? I'm not bored, but this isn't fun. It's it's we didn't go to business school, you know. We didn't. There's there's um. It's becoming a bigger deal than it ever needed to be because, like with anything else, once money gets involved, people abuse how it's done. Yeah, and, and I so don't- now. It's like, I got to pay attention to the fact that like, oh, CJ Stroud is doing this, that, and the third, because if he's not doing this, that, and the third, then maybe Texas or USC might come get him. Right. And listen, I don't think, right, it's, we have a question that we'll get to later. And again, you hate to put players' names on stuff, but, you know, if somebody came this offseason and offered CJ Stroud $6 million in NIL, would he leave? I, he, he wouldn't leave for anything. Right. Because he's set up here to get to the ultimate goal. I think where you have where schools have opportunities is guys who are in the process at a place like Ohio State or Alabama or anywhere else where they can see the light at the end of the tunnel, but they're still in the tunnel. Mm -hmm. And if you're in the middle of a tunnel and someone offers you a million dollars, you might get out of the tunnel. If you're if you're like at the end of the tunnel, it's like, well, why would you I'm I all I did all the work. I'm here. I'm not leaving. I'm here, right? Jordan Addison, Jordan Addison wouldn't have left Ohio State for USC. Like he's there, right? I think he would have left anyway, even if we didn't live in the NIL world, because everything that made him good at Pitt no longer exists. Right. His coaches left, his quarterback left. Yeah. He lost his offensive coordinator and his first round NFL quarterback. And so then that opened the opportunity. But at Ohio State, like, why did Jordan Addison move and Jackson Smith and Jigba didn't? Well, it's because 
Jordan Addison had other things happen that then opened up NIL to be a factor where Jackson Smith and Jigba did not lose his offensive coordinator, did not lose his starting quarterback, did not have any reason to believe he won't be just as good or even better Mm -hmm. in 2022. So there's no amount of NIL that could have made Jackson Smith and Jigba leave. Now, if somebody said, we'll give you $7 million in NIL, and he said, oh, what are my NIL opportunities at Ohio State? And Ohio State was like, ah, we don't do that. Well, you don't want to crack that door. He probably still wouldn't mm-hmm. have left, but he's got the express stuff. He's got other things. I'm sure he's getting collective money, right? So it's all good, but that's that's the point. The difference of it's not, and, and there's there's a thing here. Let me let me get to this. This is the one I want to get to. And we're going to get some other stuff, stuff, other stuff later. From the 312, does the NIL stuff just legalize what everyone says the SEC was doing before? So, so here's the thing, and I say this as a rule follower. Are you a rule follower, Stephen, or not so much a rule follower? For the most part, I think there's 10% of everybody that's not a rule follower, depending on what the rule is. If you think the rule is unjust – then it's like, why would I follow this unjust rule? And listen, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people who thought NCAA rules regarding amateurism have been unjust for decades mm-hmm. and decades and decades. But I do think there are still people in the process. There are still parents and families, some of them, who would be like, well, like that's you're not supposed to get paid. So like that's not how we're doing this. We're going through recruiting and we're going on relationships. We're going on what are the educational opportunities. We're going on what's the crowd like at the stadium and are you going to get to the NFL? And that's what matters. And we're not here to get under the table money because you're not supposed to do that. And and so we're not going to do it. And then there were some other players and families who did that. Okay. But now that it's allowed, and I would say this, if my daughter was in recruiting, and it's, it also comes from a place of privilege, right? If you're okay, we're okay. Yeah. Now, if you're in a situation where you're desperate, it's like that Jean Valjean guy. You got to steal a loaf of bread. I mean, you've got to feed your family. And I'm, this mm-hmm. is not right or wrong. This is reality. If you're okay and you weren't supposed to do it, then some people didn't do it. Now, if you're okay and it's allowed, and this school's offering it, and this school's offering it, and this school's offering it, and it's allowed... Well, now it enters your thought process. So when people say, ah, this is just making legal what was happening before. For some people, yes, but not for everybody. And I don't like the implication when everybody acts like, ah, nobody follows the rules ever anyway. I think a lot of people do follow rules or try to follow rules. And that when you have some rules in place, people will then follow them. But when you now say, listen, as I said before, I don't sports bet. I never had a bookie, but Ohio is now going to allow legal sports betting on January 1st, 2023. As long as my employer, I'm not going to bet on Ohio. I wouldn't bet on Ohio state games, but I'll bet on a, no. I'll bet on a, I don't know, final four game. As long as my employer doesn't say you're not allowed to bet on sports, it's now legal. Ah, everybody was just betting before legal. No, not everybody had a bookie. So now when you have legal sports betting, more people do it. When you have NIL now, now more people factor in the money in their decision-making process. So it's not only legalizing what the SEC was doing already before. For some people, yes. But also a lot of the stuff that people did before is you got a car. People always say, I'll look at the parking lots. All right. Well, that's a lot different than $1.5 million. Yeah. 
Right. Like a, so it's like a, a charger is like eighty thousand dollar car, fam. That's not like <laughs> so it's a much bigger scale in the numbers, and it's many more people. So I do. I just. I just and, and make make rules about it. Like make it legal, but then regulate it. Mm-hmm. That's my view of the world. Is like if if the thing that you're doing isn't really hurting anybody else. So then make it okay, but then have rules around it. Well, you can do it, but you can only do it this much. Or you can do it, but you can only do it this far. You have to be this age or this amount of money or this so often, right? I think that's how society works. So at the moment, Stephen, we're at the it's allowed and there's no regulation. Before it wasn't allowed. And so it was like, okay, well, you could kind of close your eyes. And if some people wanted to break the rules, fine. Some people didn't. But now it is allowed, but there's not an ounce of regulation and gene smith talked about that at the event he's like the the ncaa is doing their best is what gene smith said but like they can't do it right now they don't have a way to figure it out and even if they look at something it's going to take them a year to decide if somebody broke a rule or not so and gene smith even said he's had ohio state people talk to ncaa officials about some schools that might be breaking rules to help provide Mm -hmm. information but they don't feel like that's the answer right now because the NCAA is not set up to regulate this and they've abdicated responsibility. So at the moment, we're in the worst situation. I think it's worse almost than the old way, Stephen, of all the under the table stuff and the idea of, eh, it's like, okay, well, it is legal, but now it's, it was under the table for some people. Now it's above the table for everybody, but there's still no regulation, which is why to some it's not to take away opportunities but it's to make it so ryan day is not asking outside collectives to get 13 million bucks together and ohio state fans don't even know who they're supposed to give money to that's the problem first and foremost i don't believe the ncaa is doing the best they could because if they were doing the best they could we wouldn't be in this situation right now but that's a different conversation this is like anything else in the world. It's like when social media first came about, especially Twitter, when you're on Twitter and everybody's saying whatever they want, you know, it doesn't matter who you're talking to, what you're talking about. You're saying whatever you want. 10 years later, there are some things that you probably should not tweet, right? Yes. It's the same thing now with this. It's like, it's going to get crazy. It's going to get crazy. And eventually part of this is it's going to regulate itself because eventually what's going to happen here is for these kids who are getting three million dollars out of high school and haven't done anything yet what happens when you give that kid three million dollars to come to your school he doesn't pan out to be what you thought he was going to be now you just lost three million dollars and then he transfers right so what's the lesson there stop giving high school kids who have proven absolutely nothing three million dollars just because some website said they're a five-star recruit so that'll fix itself and then after maybe that's what the ncaa should do at this point or or the lawmaker should do let's see how much the market just fixes itself like the way it always does and then you regulate off of that because if you step in too early then like you're going to start restricting things that shouldn't be restricted the hard thing is is that in the business world that definitely would happen because you'd be like well my business invested in this person they did nothing it was a terrible investment for us. Yep. But if you're just a donor who loves your team and you have unlimited funds that, uh, bad investments might not change how you operate. And that's the thing here. 
it's the, it's not the business part that's the problem. It's the it's the I'll pay anything and, for my yeah. school. It's the fandom part, which doesn't exist in the rest of stuff. There's nobody who's like, oh, I'm a Yankees fan. I'm going to give Aaron Judge a million dollars. That's not how it works. That's the complicating mm-hmm. part here. I will say again, by the rules, I'm looking at the 10-page glossy brochure that Ohio State handed out. Uh, FAQs in the back of that brochure. May a student athlete receive NIL compensation based on the student athlete's athletic performance at Ohio State. No, it is impermissible to pay a student athlete based only on their athletic ability and performance. For example, you cannot pay a basketball player for being the leading scorer on the team. Question, may an NIL contract stipulate that a student athlete must compete for or attend Ohio State or any other NCAA member school? Like, oh, you know, hey, I'm mm-hmm. giving you this thing, but you got you to gotta play for Ohio State to get it. No. So somebody like you could you because if the thing is like, well, because that's what it is. Yeah. But but if you sign a year long contract with somebody and you're you agree to pay them 12 monthly payments and in month three they transfer. You got a contract, baby. You can't void it because they left Ohio mm-hmm. State, even though that's why you are doing it. Um, so that's those are the two main things. So. What type of activities could I pay a student athlete to do? You could pay a student athlete to do a variety of NIL activities, such as post a message on social media, to endorse a brand or company, to play tennis with you, to do a clinic for your daughter's softball team, attend a meet and greet, make an appearance for a charity, etc. Play tennis with you is just Wait, so hey. I can pay I could have paid Garrett Wilson to come hang out with me for a day? Yeah, like a million dollars. That's the problem. Hey Garrett, problem? I only have five dollars. Can you come anyway? <laughs> so so yeah. Um that's what we do. I mean, that's that's basically our tech subscription is paying people to listen yeah. to us. It's like, hey, pay four dollars and will you be my friend? Uh that's a that's a great ad for our tech subscription. Okay. Now we want to talk specifically about how this is affecting Ohio State recruiting right now. Two questions from the 734. Ohio State just came off a great year of recruiting in 2021. And we've, as we've seen with um, CJ Stroud and Chris Olave, not being a five-star doesn't mean you can't play your way into being a top 10 pick. But is Ohio State in recruiting falling behind the biggest spenders with NIL because it seems that the SEC is pulling every five-star and Ohio state is struggling to get a five-star tackle or defensive back. And another question from the three Oh nine, I am becoming increasingly concerned with Ohio state recruiting. The receivers and quarterbacks uh, mask the overall ranking of these classes. It feels like they aren't bad, but they feel a lot closer to Penn state, Michigan, old Notre Dame territory than they do to Alabama and Georgia. Does Ryan day need to win a national title in the next two years to legitimize himself and this staff as a place to be with recruits or will NIL make any coaching success moot? So this is, this is very specific. What are the effects of NIL currently on Ohio state recruiting? And again, I have not written this. uh, You know, I didn't write every word I heard of that thing yet. Ryan day in you guys are getting it first. Did say that he thinks it's possible that while this NIL stuff works itself out, Stephen, that Ohio State may have to stay more local in recruiting. 
because the way he explained it is players in Ohio maybe have a better understanding of the Ohio State brand and the idea of if what Ohio State is selling at NIL is, hey, come here. People really care about Ohio State. We can set up some businesses in Columbus with you. That's a different appeal than if a school is offering $800,000, here's money, just sign with us, right? So what Ohio State is trying to sell, now this is me reading between the lines of what Ryan Day said. Ryan Day said they may have to lean a little more on Ohio. He said the good thing is there's some good players in Ohio. They may have to lean a little more Ohio in the next couple of classes because now this is me. What Ohio State is selling is maybe more appealing locally or regionally. That if you're trying to sell NIL the way Ohio State is selling it and the way, Stephen, that we talked about it before NIL started, oh, Columbus, it's a big city for a college town. There's opportunities here for a college town. All those things are true. But if another school is saying, here's $1.2 million to come play, Ohio State having lots of businesses in Columbus maybe isn't connecting with a kid from Florida or Texas or California mm-hmm. in the same way. So it can sound like, listen, everything in, in recruiting that results in you not getting the guys you want sounds like excuses. Back in the day, everybody, a lot of coaches would say, hey, why didn't you get that guy? And then off the record, they say, well, somebody paid him. It's like, okay, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with that information. It's probably true sometimes, but the bottom line is like, did you get enough good players? I'm sorry, but like, this is the business. This is the way that your job is set up because the, you know, it's such a screwy world, but it's hard in the end, Steve. And I think for us and for fans, it's hard. It was always hard to go by anything other than results because it was behind the scenes and excuse making. Now it's out in the open. More, more. So I think you may hear similar excuses, but they're going to be easier to point to of like, oh, well, they did this, which is what Saban mm-hmm. did. Saban lost a recruiting title. So Saban pointed, who did he point at? He pointed yeah, at I the team him. that beat them. So the idea of this affecting Ohio State recruiting, does Justin Fry need to go out and get a tackle? Yep, he does. Do they need to go out and get big-time linebackers and safeties for this defense? Yep. Do they got to get some corners? Sure. Absolutely. Are Hartline and Larry Johnson and, and Corey Dennis and Ryan Day at their positions getting it done? Yeah, absolutely. By the other positions, not quite as good. Yes. Is that all NIL? Not all NIL. Is NIL a factor, especially with national kids? When Ryan Day says, I think we might end up going a little more Ohio-based the next couple of years, I don't, I don't want to say that that's just an excuse. I think it is some reality, some, not excuse making, but some like, okay, well, you got to do what you got to do. But that's also why he's asking for the 13 mil. So how, what would you say your read at the moment, Stephen, on the class of 2023 in particular? Do you feel like NIL is having what kind of effect in your mind on this Ohio State class? I can't put it any higher than 15 until I see Ohio State lose a kid to a school that that doesn't make sense in a world where NIL doesn't exist. Because if you lose a kid from the South to Alabama, okay, it's Alabama. Everybody loses kids from the South to Alabama. That's how that's even Georgia. I'll throw them in there as well. If you lose a kid to, I don't know, Tennessee, let's just, yeah. then, then I'll go, okay, yeah. I understand the world you're living in now, but I can't, you can't use that excuse when it's people you would lose to anyway. 
I do think, though, regardless of NIL or not, visits are so much more important for Ohio State than they are from, for some of these other programs, just because it is in like you just kind of mapped it out a little bit. There's a lot to do in Columbus. It's actually one of the bigger cities in the country, like top 20 cities in the country. But you don't if you're from Jacksonville or you're from Austin or you're from Los Angeles, you don't know that because you just think college town, which is why a lot of times I remember talking to CJ Stroud's mom and she's like, there's actually a lot of similarities between Los Angeles and Columbus, but they wouldn't have known that if had, they had never visited. So that's why it's so much more imperative that these kids, these national kids get here because they don't get it until they come here and they go, oh, OK, this is no different than my home. It's just north and it gets cold in the wintertime. But other than that, from a lifestyle standpoint, it's very much the same, which is why with the Richard Young situation, when the, before I went on my hiatus for a little bit, I was saying Ohio State still has a chance as long as Richard Young makes that visit. He's not making the visit anymore, so the chance went out the window. And you can say that for practically every top 50 recruit that Ohio State is in on. If they get a summer visit, they're right up there. Because once kids see it, it's like, oh, this is an SEC place. It's just not in the SEC footprint. And a lot of SEC schools are small. Towns are small. Some of them are. Yes. Right? I mean, like – and like. Tuscaloosa comes alive on Saturdays in the fall. I've been to Tuscaloosa. Other than that, there's nothing going on there. Yeah, it's just a different world. So, I mean, a lot of that, there will be, I I would say at the moment, there will be some kids where NIL is the number one factor. There will be. They Mm -hmm. may end up at schools they never would have wound up at before because of NIL. That will happen with some players. I think there will be, a lot of other really good top players who know I'm, I'm positioned to get to the league. And so that is my number one thing. Cause that's the big money. That's my whole life. That's not just three years in college where NIL is not the number one thing, but once the school meets a certain threshold of good coaches, good situation, good history of getting guys to the NFL, then NIL will be a tiebreaker. And so I think, Ohio State doesn't want to lose every tiebreaker. As you said, I think they would be, they would feel okay losing a kid to Tennessee or like just like losing a kid to a school that's not competing for national championships right now. Cause then they could say, well, okay, well, that was just that. We yep. know probably what that was. But if they lose every tiebreaker to Alabama and Georgia and USC because they just can't compete at all in NIL, then that's where I think they're going to get frustrated. So I think they want to make it that we don't have to match every NIL offer, but we have to make it good enough for the things that we do well to come into play. And every now and then for the guys that absolutely are program changers, we might have to be ready to do what, what the going rate is for the guys Mm -hmm. that make a difference, right? If, if, if there's some guy that we think is, and again, it's at special positions. We just, we're going to have to be ready. So, but I do think it's going to have to shake itself out. And we'll get into this more next week on a recruiting pod, Stephen. I would say if you look at Ohio State's recruiting in 2023 right now, we've talked about this before, what the text brought up. Is there a huge success at receiver and quarterback masking some, for lack of a better word, deficiencies in other areas? Yes. They're getting like, you get like four top 100 players at receiver every year and it bumps up your class ranking, but it's like, well, there, we didn't have that many top 100 players at 
offensive line or in the secondary, right? So that, that can happen. So should people be worried right now about 2023? I think worried is probably the wrong word at this point in June with as many guys as they coming in, especially for that late visit window on the 24th. And we had talked about on sort of the analytics pod right before you got back of how it really, the numbers behind how important it is to get the last official for a kid. Mm -hmm. Don't get worried yet, but if they lose a bunch of close calls here in June, then I think it's okay to be concerned. And then I think you get in in an even deeper NIL discussion. I don't think we, if they have what is a, if 2023 is a, is a, I don't want to say bad, an average or below average year for recruiting for Ohio state. We'll dive in on that. Steven, I think we would probably have to say NIL had some impact on that, Yeah, but I don't know that it would be fair to just say, well, well, NIL screwed them. That's it. Oh, they can't keep up. Oh, well, they, you know, there's other things at play here too, but I don't think you could be blind to the, obviously to the idea that NIL matters to some degree. I agree. You have to mention it, but also I think some position coaches would be able to use that excuse more than others, just because they've got a proven track record of recruiting in a world without NIL and how good they can be at it. But I, no, right now is not the time to be worried. Ohio state has a tendency to be close to full, by the time they start fall camp with their recruiting classes. And as long as they're at that point, then you're fine. Because typically outside of Larry Johnson, they do their work early. Larry likes to like kind of come anchor when he, when he d- recruits defensive linemen. I like that idea. Like I like Larry Johnson running the anchor leg. Yeah. Hand that baton to grandpa. Let him rip off. A, <laughs> rip off a quick hundred there at the end. All right. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll do some non-NIL stuff. We have questions on our favorite cities. We have a question about why I let a guest uh, step all over me. Toughness, the Parents Johnson question. And then we'll get back to a couple other less nitty-gritty NIL questions. But we'll wrap up with that next on Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice back with Stephen Means. I thought this is a, a good one to get us back into football a little bit from the 412. Would it be better for Ohio State if Paris Johnson Jr. is so good that he goes to the NFL after this season, or if he takes the Nicholas Petit Frere route and is very solid for two seasons and solidifies left tackle for the next two years? So this I, I love this discussion. It's like one year great, two year good. This is about the position. This is about the depth behind the player. This is about how important the position is. This is not a guess on what Paris Johnson is going to do. And by the way, you know what you might get? Two years are great. Mm-hmm. You don't know that. Again, this is a this is a guy who has, a, I think, a lot invested um, in Columbus, right? And and is the guy might be the sports editor of the Lantern, right? He might want to stick around mm-hmm. and do that. So this is not, you know, some players are very clearly on a three-year plan from the jump. Paris Johnson had that ability, but I don't feel like he's talked about that in the same way. Some guys are like, right away are like, I'm three years now, which is great. So anyway, two great years is possible, but let's say it's not. What would you rather have for that left, for left tackle, for this team, for what the next two years will look like? Two good years, one great year. I think the simple answer would just be like two good years because then you know who your starter is. But in 2023... Yeah. yeah, but you know, I mean, you have one of the two or three best quarterbacks in the country, depending on how you feel about Caleb Williams or if you're PFF, how you feel about Spencer Rattler. Um, you have 
arguably the best wide receiver in the country, one of the best running backs. I mean, this offense is going to be really good this year. I don't want to waste that because I'm thinking about next year when you might be able to win a national title this year if he's protecting the potential number one NFL draft pick at the best capability. So I'll take great for a year if it if it ends up in a national championship. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably that's not a bad philosophy for life. It's like one great year in the hand is worth two good years in the bush. I mean, it's just like, yeah. let, like take the greatness now and see what happens. It is a little complicating by what we've talked about numerous times on this podcast, including on the podcast about will the 2023 Ohio State Buckeyes be the greatest team in college football history. <laughs> it's like, well, if Paris Johnson's not here, who's the left tackle? That is a big, that's like the number one question for 2023. Yeah. And one of the other questions is how good will the new quarterback be? Mm-hmm. So the idea of, okay, CJ Stroud's been around. He can kind of handle himself. If his left tackle's only good, not great, is that going to ruin CJ Stroud's year? It's like, well, he's not the greatest scrambler in the world, but I think CJ probably could figure it out. But the starter in 2023, whether it's Kyle McCord or Devin Brown, maybe could use a veteran tackle as opposed to a new tackle that we don't know who he's going to be. So I might, I think one year of great is the way to go almost all the time. Given the parameters of this reality, I maybe would take too good because we just, we don't, is it, is it Zen Machalski? Is it transferred to be named later? We just don't know. Donovan Jackson. Donovan Jackson. That could be. I, that, yeah, that that could be like, it. That could be it, as we've talked about, too. So, I mean, that's the. Um, but, man. Man, does Paris Johnson being here for year four of college yeah. just eliminate that right off the bat? So it is something to think about. But, again, we. You know, we've gone through NFL draft stuff. A lot of people are projecting him to be a first-round draft pick. Great is, like, very, very possible. So it's probably assume, prepare for the great and think that they might just have to figure it out. All right, so let's get to the thing that 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 that, that you just referenced. From the 513, this is to me. Why did you crumble like a limp noodle? I, and then, that, like, no, there's nothing more hurtful that someone could call me than a noodle uh, based on my past noodle usage. Like a limp noodle uh, with Anthony on the pod. He, he said, buddy, he means Anthony Tresh of PFF. You guys are constantly talking about CJ Stroud as the possible number one draft pick and possible Heisman winner and how he might break records. But then you let this guy put him behind Spencer Rattler. I can see Bryce Young and maybe Caleb Williams, but a guy who sucks so bad he got benched and therefore transferred to a bottom half SEC school. Shame on you, Doug. Um, that is not the only text i got along those lines so people were not thrilled with that did you listen to that episode i Steve? did what I was did your re- what was your reaction to the cj stroud conversation and how i i it? i thought you were a little nice for you which was I i'm thought, sure I, i'm sure were you screaming at oh you're nice to him you're nice yes. to the stranger what where's doug where's yes. the real doug because i think there is a um, and I might have been talking to Landis about this. I think if Landis, myself, Nathan, or Ari would have given those reasons for why we had Spencer Rattler above um, CJ Stroud, we would have turned the pod off and said we're starting over because this is not a good potting. I think that's probably right. I think this is primarily a question about podcast etiquette and yeah. <laughs> how you handle 
a discussion with someone who is being gracious with their time to come on the podcast. Now, PFF did offer Anthony up. They do that from time to time. You know, they're promoting their site. They want him out there. He's like their college football guy. So they emailed actually Nathan from baby leave. They emailed Nathan. It was like, Hey, do you want Anthony Tresh to come on Buckeye talk? And they Nathan, emailed me too. Oh, and so you guys, but so yeah. Nathan Ford, it was like, oh, I'll take it. Right. So what the heck? I like having people with a national perspective on. Yeah. I don't, I don't, is that the right etiquette of if you're a guest and you're basically now, because the thing is, because he is promoting his own thing. And I did the one time, I mean, people remember the last time I went after a guest was James Crepia, who like, I'm very. Yeah, yeah, no, there's definitely like a middle ground between, between what you did with Crepia and what you did with, with Anthony Treese that you could have found there. It's almost yeah. like, it's the Paris Johnson, Nicholas Deep Fair there. Paris needs to find some middle ground there where he's really, really good, but not good enough to leave. So somewhere between screaming at somebody for 45 minutes and also yes. saying, oh, you know what? You're right. Spencer Rattler is yeah. better than CJ Stroud. Um, I do like sometimes I like just having other people present their opinions to our audience to be like, hey, yeah. you guys hear what we think all the time. I don't know that. I hope nobody listened to that and thought, oh, my God, Doug changed his mind. Now he thinks CJ Stroud is the fourth best quarterback in the country. Mm. It was more like, OK, this guy has a different opinion. Um, and the one thing that I think is true is that people like that know more about Bryce Young and Caleb Williams and Spencer Rattler and people around the country than we did. We do, but we know more about CJ Stroud. Nobody knows Correct. more about CJ Stroud than we do. So the idea when anybody's like, well, you know, early in the season, he was a little, it's like, well, that doesn't matter. That like what he did before mm-hmm. Akron has nothing. Like if that's in your evaluation, it shouldn't be in your evaluation. Throw it away. That has nothing to do. And then actually once he came back, he was really accurate. His decision-making was really good yeah. and his accuracy was really good. So actually that point doesn't hold water. I, I, I am open to the idea of, being more cognizant of disagreeing with guests more, but because I'm trying to think I had, so I think, I don't know if I told this story before in the midst of all the Zach Smith, Urban Meyer stuff and every radio station in the world just wanted Ohio state people on. I went on this show in Chicago, the Chicago radio station. And I sort of said before I went, I was like, I don't really want to answer a million questions about all this stuff. Like I can talk Mm. about it, but like, and then the way they asked the questions almost, it was like, they were trying to make me defend Ohio state's handling of urban Meyer and Zach Smith. And it's like, I didn't do it. I'm not here to defend it, Mm -hmm. but also like, I don't know what you want me to say. And so don't yell at me because you're mad at Ohio state. And so I basically said that on the radio, like when they went at me, cause they were like, why did they do this? And I was like, well, you know, I don't know. They probably were thinking this, but I don't know. It was like, what well, does it make any sense? It's like, I, I'm not, don't yell at me. I said, I don't want to talk about this. I'm doing you a favor being on your show. Don't yell at me about it. I didn't come on here to get yelled at. Like that was the conversation we had on Chicago radio. And so it's like, don't yell at me. I'm your guest. I'm your guest. So if someone's in my house, if I see you on the street and I think you're being a jackhole, I'll tell you. If you're on my couch and I invited you to my house and you're being a jackhole, I might through gritted teeth. And listen, Anthony's really good. 
Uh, we just disagree about Spencer Rattler. Yeah, right? I, I, really good. I'm not. This is not. This is more about my handling of someone that our audience. And the thing that's hard, Stephen, is our audience listening to that knows I disagree. Yeah, and I and yes. I didn't disagree in the moment. Yeah, I thought there was for one one thing I've noted. PFF really likes Spencer Rattler. Um, yes. they've always been very high on him, and so it wasn't shocking when he first put that list out that Spencer Rattler was on it. Obviously it was shocking that he was in the same category as those three guys. Um, especially one of the, one of the guys took his job. I thought that whether you agreed with it or not, I thought there was room for him to give an explanation that wasn't just, well, if you look at their PFF set numbers, mm-hmm. and I think he relied a little too much on that when it's like, okay, Give me something that Spencer Rattler does better than C.J. Stroud or you feel he does better. And if that's the case, that's fine. You're allowed to have that opinion. But I do think it it got to a point where it's like, well, if you look at the PFF numbers, what's fine? You guys created the numbers. So you should be able to give us the the interior juices of like how you came to these numbers. Like, why did Spencer Rattler have an 86 PFF grade while he lost his job while CJ Stroud's a 92.2. That that's the type of information I think they can add some value more than just like, I just think he's better because we love Spencer Rattler. We have to get him back on. We do. Those, are all, those are all very good questions. Those are all very good questions. Next time he's on, we'll have, we'll have Steven do the, do the interview. Uh, I will say sometimes, because I sort of, I sort of knew it was happening while it was happening. I could feel myself doing it. And I almost did feel this a little bit. It's such, I don't want to say it's indefensible, but it's like, well, the guy, that guy did lose his job and transfer. It's almost, I felt like if I pushed, it's like I would win in 10 seconds. And I did, it was almost too easy of an argument to win. Where if it feels like, hey, you have an opinion, I have a different opinion. Mm-hmm. Who can tell who's right and who's wrong, but let's, Let's have a good discussion about it. People will probably mm-hmm. enjoy this. It's like, I feel like if you, the, the balloon of Spencer Rattler is better than CJ Stroud, it's like one pinprick and that thing's going to pop. And it's like, yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to pop his balloon. He came on the show. Let him and it made for a short podcast for sure. If you were to just throw yeah. it out there, Spencer but Rattler I, lost his job. I did save it for the end because I didn't want people to be like, oh my God, that CJ Stroud conversation. I'm out. I don't want to listen to the rest. So it was not a coincidence that we did CJ Stroud last. And listen, I think Anthony is really good. People who provide national context, I think, are valuable. They're valuable to people like us mm-hmm. who write about a specific team. They're valuable to listeners who listen about a specific team. So I love having Anthony on, and he'll be on again. And I, I, I just think it helps us look at things in a different way. So I do think it's valuable of like, hey, by the way, not everybody in the country thinks CJ Stroud's one of the two best quarterbacks. We do. A lot of people do. Here's somebody who doesn't. But I I am here for the feedback and criticism of I let him off the hook too much. I will keep that in mind for the next time. This is a football question from the 253, our guy Mitchell. Should I be slightly concerned about the toughness on this team? Yes, the defense got pushed around at times, but that's being fixed, I hope. Honestly, I'd like to see CJ put his shoulder down and pick up a clutch third and three on the ground or something like that when needed. Maybe toughness isn't even the right word, but just having that hard-nosed mentality. It felt missing last year. I will say it was nice to see CJ pick up the first down on the ground in the Rose Bowl during the first quarter. It was necessary and got the offense going. So, I don't know that CJ running is the answer to the toughness question, but this toughness question isn't going anywhere, Stephen, until these guys get back on the field. 
we have to get away from we need the quarterback to run to prove that he's tough. Because you know it's tougher standing in the pocket and taking a sack, taking a hit from somebody who's 6'6", 250 while launching the ball 40 yards down the field, and there's nothing you can do about it. I I, I get it. We're, we're, we're still coming off the high of third and short, and it's QB power. But, like, I don't – even these receivers, because I'd ask receivers a lot of times during the season, do you need to see that from C.J. Stroud? They're like, personally, no. I don't ever want him to leave the pocket. I want him to throw the ball and have a clean jersey. They don't – I don't. I think that's overblown how much teams actually care how much their quarterbacks get hit because it's not the, – there's a reason why quarterbacks only get hit 15 days out of the year. But the toughness thing, I think, is a real thing that – when we were talking to uh, Mick Marotti, um in the Woody a couple of weeks ago, he even said that after that Michigan game, everybody had to look in the mirror a little bit and kind of reassess how things were going here because Ohio State did get pushed around at the line of scrimmage way too often. And I do think there is – and USC is probably going to run into this problem this year because their offensive line stinks. But when you are such an offensive genius, you can teeter-totter on looking like a 7 on seventeen. Where And that goes into the recruiting again of Ohio State's or wide receiver and quarterback recruiting is at an elite level, but what about the offensive line? And so that's the, the question I have here going into this season with this starting offensive line. It looks good on paper, but what happens, as um, Justin Fry said, when it's third and one and everybody knows you're running the ball and you need to get it? So I do think one of the things that's interesting, both tackles last year were better run blockers than pass blockers. Like, really, mm-hmm. Dewan Jones and Nicholas petit Frere. there's not a lot of questions about those guys running the ball. I think the toughness discussion that is implanted, you know, the heads of Ohio State fans right now, I think is primarily two things. I think on the offensive side of the ball, I really do think it's a little bit more about Trevion Henderson than anything else, which is normal because he was a true freshman that was relied upon in a huge way last year. And he's not quite B. John Robinson or Braylon Allen. He's not 235 pounds, right? Now he can handle himself, but I think just that was a lot for a kid who had not played his senior year of high school football. So I think Mm -hmm. if you think there were times, right, the, the run play early in the second half where they get stuffed against Michigan, right? Some of the stuff, some of the goal line stuff sometimes. It's not blaming Trayvon Henderson. It's more about, hey, Ohio State, you put a true freshman who had, did not play his last year of high school football in a situation to be the go-to back because you didn't have a guy older than him that he was that was better. I think that is it more than anything else. I really don't think this offensive line has a problem run blocking. I think it's Travion as a young back, and he's going to be older now, and I think we'll be better at that. And there's a little bit of the play calling, right? Just yep. Ryan Day making sure that he doesn't fall in love with their skill in the passing game. And then I think the bigger part of it is stopping the run on the other side. And that when your defense gets run over, something about a lack of toughness permeates your view of the entire team. And that's mostly about like the defensive tackles and the linebackers. And that you see what Blake Corum did and you see what Hassan Haskins did and you see what CJ Burdell did. And all of a sudden your team doesn't seem tough, especially when, okay, well, who ran the ball better? Okay, well, Oregon and Michigan did a better job running the ball than Ohio State in those two games. It's like, oh, but did you see the part where Ohio State had Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and Jackson Smith and Jigman and C.J. Stroud? Did you remember that part? It's like, well, that's not what you're thinking about. You're thinking about the toughness quotient. Because the passing game can seem – here's – I do think this is true. Steven, I think when a passing game works, 
it can look easy. Now, when a passing game doesn't yeah. work, it can feel like how in the name of everything can anyone complete a six-yard pass? It looks like they're throwing a medicine ball into triple coverage every throw. How does anyone ever move the ball? But when they are as good as it, at it as they are, it can look easy. And then the run game kind of always looks hard. Now, sometimes you pop through a hole and you're gone. People don't think the passing game is tough, but you know, it is, you know, it's tough beating a guy off the line of scrimmage, getting a good release and being physical and getting around him, running your route, fighting for a ball in the air. There's a physicality, a quarterback, as you said, standing in the pocket and either absorbing a hit or being willing to absorb a hit to get a ball down the field. There's a toughness factor to that that isn't viewed the same way as a running back breaking a tackle or a linebacker making a tackle. Ohio State so good throwing it, it can be taken for granted. And then there were teams that ran on them, and Ohio State, in your head and with your eyeballs, lost the run game. And mm-hmm. that, and so here we are. But I think it's mostly about making sure Blake Corum, C.J. Verdell, this is why the Wednesday pod, I mean, the, the Friday pod about Wisconsin, I, I'll be curious if I get reaction of people thinking I'm giving Wisconsin, <coughs> excuse me, too much credit. Braylon Allen is quite a dude to watch. Braylon Allen is quite a dude to watch. I, I, the guy, I, I just get some Ezekiel Elliott vibes from that guy. And when Ezekiel Elliott was going, Stephen, nobody questioned Ohio State's toughness because Zeke was going to run over you, run through you, and then run away from you. And there just wasn't as much of that last year because Travion Henderson was an 18-year-old kid who's not 235 pounds. So anyway, I think part of this is real. I think part of it's perception, but I think the main thing is if they start tackling running backs, this will in actuality and in perception go away. Yeah. um, It's so weird that Kenneth Walker was like the only running back who could not do anything against Ohio state last year. That's just the weirdest thing. But that's the thing. There's enough Kenneth Walkers, uh, Blake Corums, even Muhammad Ibrahim, who even Minnesota lost that game. He did whatever he wanted. There's enough of those on the schedule this year that Ohio State can prove some things from a toughness standpoint at the line of scrimmage. All right, a little off topic very quickly. From the 415, favorite U.S. cities U.S. cities you've visited, U.S. cities you haven't visited but want to. So as you ponder, I will say uh, back when I was covering baseball, listen, I, don't, I live in the Midwest. I like the Midwest, but I'll just be real. I was covering the Philadelphia Phillies and – I would go on road trips and I would wake up some days and I would be like, I don't know what city I'm in. And so like sort of nondescript Midwestern cities, it's like, am I in Cincinnati? Am I in Milwaukee? Am I in Pittsburgh? Am I in St. Louis? Like, I don't know. I literally don't know where I am. I'm like looking out the window of my downtown hotel and I have no idea where I am. Columbus had a major league baseball city, baseball team. I'd probably say the same thing about Columbus, but so that made me think like I like distinctive cities who does, but so it's like if I'm thinking like favorite US said like San Francisco is ridiculous. It's also ridiculously expensive. I'm not saying I want to live in San Francisco, but when you're in San Francisco, you never say to yourself, ah, oh, where am I? Because San Francisco has a hundred distinctive things about it. New Orleans is the same way, yeah. right? You're never like, oh, what is it's you're you know, you feel it. You smell it. You taste it. You know you're in New Orleans. So I do. I like those kind of cities, Stephen, where there's a distinct cultural, um, maybe architectural 
kind of mm. flavor, a, a distinct culinary part of the city that when you're there, you know you're not at home. And I think probably a lot of people listening to this would agree with that. Nothing wrong with Milwaukee, but I think San Francisco is very high on my list. How about you? Um, I loved New Orleans, mostly because I was there when it's supposed to be cold and I was wearing shorts walking around. That was awesome. That was a great feeling. Um, I love Scottsdale, Phoenix. I love mm-hmm. that area. Um, and a lot of it is because like, I could actually see myself living there. And I think you said we were there for a week. You got to really experience it. Um, they were taking me all over the place in those white vans. Um, so I love those two areas. So, yeah. But also, um, I like Chicago. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's it, Chicago is. So I obviously I went to school outside Chicago for four years. It, it hits a pretty sweet spot of like gigantic, but not quite New York. Yeah. So if New York, if you're the type of person and I've gone in and out on New York where it's like New York can feel like a bit much yeah. um, than Chicago and LA's too spread out. Right. I mean, LA is just a whole mm-hmm. different thing. It's not even a city. It's a region. It's like, you can't like walk yeah. around LA. Cause it's like, if you're walking around somewhere in LA, you're not actually in LA. You're mm-hmm. in, you're in <laughs> Manhattan beach or you're in, yeah. you know, um, Beverly Hills or something. You're not, nobody walks around downtown Los Angeles, but Chicago checks a lot of boxes uh, for stuff like that. All right, this one I'm always willing to talk about, 2005 Ohio State. This is from the 813. I'm of the semi-unpopular opinion that the 2005 team was Jim Trestle's best team. Yes, better than 02. And it would have won a national championship in a four-team playoff. It kills me to look back at how loaded that team was, and we were the only ones that defensively slowed down Texas and Vince Young that year. At the end of the year, I would have liked our chances against Texas in a rematch, Penn State in a rematch, or USC. Do you agree? I actually, from the 813, one of the things I disagree with in the premise of your question is that it's a semi-unpopular opinion that the 05 team was Jim Trestle's best. I actually think there is a decent chunk of fans who think that 813. So don't sell yourself short. I think you're right on it. And the, the difference is you're starting to get like you, 05 is enough of, especially by the end, enough of like true Troy, right? It's mm-hmm. the real Troy Smith experience. But it's A.J. Hawk. It's Dante Whitner. It's Bobby Carpenter. It's like all these guys who are gone by 06 because they lose. They have five first round picks in the 2006 NFL draft after the 05 season. And then they go and they're the number one undefeated team all year in 06, having lost five guys to the first round. So you keep all those guys. You still have AJ Hawk, Bobby Carpenter, Nick Mangold, Dante Whitner, and Santonio Holmes. Plus you have Troy being Troy. Plus you have Ted Ginn Jr. being Ted Ginn Jr. Like that's like it is. And so what happens as people know, Troy Smith is suspended for the, the opener, part of the opener. He's in and out. Jim Trestle has not settled on a quarterback. Both Justin Zwick and Troy Smith play in week two against Texas in 05. It throws everything off. And then at the end of the year, they just like, that was a really good Penn State defensive team. And they just kind of got them in kind of like a weird game. But if you had had a four-team playoff that year, it would have been. So that, again, ironically or coincidentally, this Ohio State season coincides, Stephen, with the game of the century. When people think Texas-USC is going to be the game of the century, and they think maybe USC is the greatest team ever. And it's by the – from an Ohio State standpoint – if you're not an Ohio State fan, as someone would say, oh, you remember when they had the game of the century when Vince Young beat – USC was the greatest team ever and Vince Young beat them. I think Ohio State could have beaten both those teams. And people would be like, shut up. 
That's a ridiculous yeah. opinion to have. But I don't think it's only a homer opinion because run through the talent, run through the roster with people. The Texas team that Ohio State lost to wasn't full Ohio State because it wasn't full Troy yet, right? Troy had shown flashes in the second half of 04, then the suspension and the weird stuff. He became the real, real Troy over the course of that 05 season. All that defensive talent's still there. All the receiver talent's still there. And I think and the four-team playoff, by the way, would have been Texas, USC, Ohio State, Penn State. So it would have been Ohio State and the two teams they lost to. I think you're probably looking at USC, Ohio State in the first game. And yeah. one versus four and Texas Penn state as two, three. And then it's like, okay, well, could Ohio state beat Matt Liner and, US, and Reggie Bush? It's like, I don't know. Could USC have beaten AJ Hawk, Dante Whitner, Santonio Holmes, Ted Ginn jr. And Troy Smith. I don't know. So I don't think it's crazy. And when you go back, Steven, and the history of this stuff, there's some Cooper teams, right? 98, Cooper teams that you say, man, I wish they would have had a shot in a 14 playoff. I absolutely put 05 on that list. And for 15 years, I've said, I thought the 05 Ohio State team was Jim Trestle's best team. We did a, a reta- re- Buckeye Retalkables on the Ohio State-Texas game. They were beating them, even with the the, oh, the quarterback situation not figured out. So, yeah, that would have been interesting to watch, not in full Troy against a Texas team that was good, but it was still the Vince Young show. I think yep. Ohio State was the more talented team. It's just Texas had the best overall player. While, yeah, that, that should be on the list. Um, Ohio State has a bunch of teams, though. That would be actually an interesting part. How many teams? Yeah. I mean, like the team, because yeah, like the 2015 team had the 14 playoff, but they didn't get in it. But it's like if you, so yeah. fit, like the teams that fell short, but they're like, but you go, I think if you're trying to do that, I mean, I think you go 15, 05, and 98 are probably. Yeah, that's top of the list. 96 is in there. Um, and then you start getting back into like, okay, well, if in 69, you know, the super softs now as juniors riding that winning streak, they go to Ann Arbor in 69 and a couple Mm -hmm. of them have food poisoning. And if they would have had a chance to come back and do something, maybe they do it. Although a couple other Ohio state teams that fell short because they lost the Rose bowl. Like they did get into a postseason spot and lose, but Oh five is way up there. The talent on the team is ridiculous. I mean, the talent, the talent, and again, that they lost five first rounders and were undefeated number one, 12 and 0 the next year says something about like that early Trestle talent, that first Trestle recruiting class that had Troy and AJ Hawk in it. All those guys, remarkable, Maurice Claret, remarkable, remarkable recruiting class. All right, a couple more NIL things we'll finish up with here. A little less nitty gritty from the 614. If NIL had been around the whole time that I've covered the Buckeyes, which players would have made the most money? Not just the best players, but who would have been the most marketable and had the best personality that would work Braxton. for commercials, et cetera. I mean, it's like, I, did anyone say anyone other than Braxton? Yeah, it's Braxton. So, like, Braxton was a little low-key with the personality, but as we've said on this podcast many times before, he's so handsome. My God, he's handsome. And he's, like, the things that he did on the football field mm-hmm. were highlights. He was a human highlight machine. Uh who, when he took off his helmet, you were like, who is that guy? So, I mean, that would have been a ton. And I, I and like to think about Terrell Pryor was so important to Ohio State football. And again, was sort of so rare with how he played. We ended up with the perception of Terrell Pryor at Ohio State. Some fans did that I think was driven in part by the idea that 
they didn't have NIL, that anything that was happening there that people people thought maybe was happening, there was more smoke around that guy than anybody that I've covered, right? So the smoke influenced our view of him. And I think then it became a little bit of a loop of smoke influenced our view, our view influenced his view of the world. If you just would have been like, oh, Terrell Pryor came here. Like, what's up with that guy? It's like, man, he got a $1.5 million NIL deal right off the bat. And then now watch what he does. Well, then watch what he does. He might be Cam Newton. Like he might, like he didn't, I don't, I don't, Braxton, I think got to fulfill other than the injury that kept him from playing quarterback his last year. Braxton, I think got to fulfill sort of the potential of how beloved he could be as an Ohio state Mm -hmm. quarterback. He just didn't get any money for it. I think the lack of NIL threw off Terrell's entire existence at Ohio state. Now it also was a little clunky. They benched a senior to put him in and Trestle maybe didn't handle all that stuff. Great. And whatever, it was a crossover of the old guard and the new guard. But if the new guard would have just been like, Oh yeah, these guys, it's a huge recruiting class with a bunch of NIL opportunities. I just think it's a different world for Terrell Pryor. Would Terrell Pryor have come to Ohio State if NIL existed? Well, it would have been one of those things. I mean, like at that time, um, he had a couple. I think Oregon was in on him, right? I think he mm-hmm. ended up not going on his official to Oregon. He was going to. But it really wound up sort of being like Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State. So who wins that NIL battle? Yeah, Ohio State fair. now. Would Texas or Oregon or USC or someone have come in over the top? Maybe. He was interested in Oregon. Does Oregon come in over the top with Nike money? Maybe. That's what, yeah, that's why I said it, because Oregon, that's at the time when, like, the alternate jerseys were becoming, like, a real thing yep. for everybody, and Oregon's got 30 million jerseys. Like, you combine that with the Nike money. Oregon missed out on a, on a, a really good thing with NIL. I think they're – because now they're not – especially with Mario Cristobal heading to Miami. I think Oregon missed a window had we had NIL in the early 2010s. For, Cause like you lean into chip and the jerseys yeah. and the offense and the spread and just yeah. di- dynamic opportunities there. Um, but those are definitely, and then, you know, there would have been other guys that people would have loved. You know, I think James Laurinaitis with the wrestling stuff and his dad mm-hmm. and sort of like, there was a lot of built-in personality stuff there. I think would have had great opportunities. Uh, all right, this is a little more specific to now. From the 419, at what position will Ohio State lose its first player to the transfer portal due to NIL opportunities that other schools are offering? I just think skill is the thing here, and I just wonder how it affects the receiver room. And it's yep. one of those things. They, they had a graphic that Keenan Bailey put out, and I was looking through Twitter the other day. I missed it the first time around, but then I noticed that Jackson Smith and Jigga's dad had retweeted it, and it's – Keenan Bailey, who's like the assistant receivers coach. It's a shot of practice. You know what I'm talking about, Stephen. Yeah. And it's Chris Olave, Jamison Williams, and Garrett Wilson at practice. And they put little mm-hmm. subheads of like pick number 10, pick number 11, pick number 12. And then Jackson Smith and Jigba's there. And it's like a, the caption is like Jackson Smith and Jigba exor- absorbing all of this stuff. And it was sort of like mm-hmm. people say, why do you come to a place like this? And it's like, this is why. So it won't be a guy who's already done something. But if you get a guy in that receiver room who's waited two years and between you two and year three, he's still waiting and somebody comes in with a big offer and his family is in a situation where that money is really big and can help right now. I don't think Ohio State's going to be in the business of losing Jordan Addison's, of losing established guys. It's a matter of could someone come in with a big money offer to somebody who hasn't played that much 
yet. And I just think it's more likely to be at a skill position than anywhere else. I think every two years there's going to be a Jamison Williams where even if he has played, it's the whole Jamison Williams things is because I think he would have played last year. I think they would have had a four man rotation last year, especially since Garrett has experience in the slot. They would have made that work. But it's a do you want to be one of the guys or do you want to be the guy? Which already already worked for Bam. Right. And then, but now it's do you want two million dollars also? Yes. To be the to be literally. So like I I, the way Ryan Hartline recruits this room, I'm just assuming that there's going to be a Jamison Williams every two years. But we've already said that. So the part of it is well, we already saw it. So what's the difference? It's just now they're getting paid. He'll get paid as part of it. And will there be another guy that it maybe wouldn't have happened without NIL, but now Mm -hmm. it will. But again, I still do think the driving force is playing time to get me to the league. Mm -hmm. The the driving force at that level, even if you hadn't played, you still have to figure out my path to the league, my path to the league. And you got to get on the field to get to the league. So the playing time matters more than the NIL money. But once the playing time opportunity arises, boy, is NIL a nice sweet. The money is like the it's like the perfect punctuation to why if you were maybe teetering, it's like eh, maybe I'll yes. stay, maybe I'll go. Oh, two million dollars. Yep, we're out of here. Right. So I mean, and again, I'm not, I'm not. We're not going to put any names on it. You guys can figure it out. But if that had happened, you know, who knows? But it feels like there's, you know, the the way the pipeline is right now, like the guys, the guys who haven't played much in the receiver room are about to play. And they know yep. it. And then the guys who haven't played just got here. So they're not in a hurry. Mm-hmm. They're not going to take it right now. Otherwise, they would have just gone to that school to, be- to begin with. I do just think it's going to happen at skill. But again, Jack Miller already left. Quinn Ewers already left. Like what? Mm-hmm. What? Did- Joe Burrow already left. We- we've already seen it. So I- again, get back. I just get-, get the next level of it is when a super established guy leaves for yep. an IL. That's the next level. But I don't know that. Ohio State's on high alert for that right now. We'll try to squeeze in two more. From the 614, do you expect the Big Ten schools will use part of the money from their pending media rights deal for NIL purposes? Or does that cross over into pay for play and NIL money has to come from outside the athletic department, even if the NIL program is administered by the athletic department? Yes. Ohio State can't use – they're going to get a windfall. They're going to sign a new deal. They're in the process of that right now. There's going to be some streaming rights probably. I don't know. They'll probably end up leaning more into Fox. It'll be a big deal when it happens because it'll affect where the games are on your television or on your computer screen or on your watch or on the plant embedded, uh, the, the chip embedded in your head. But they can't use it. Now, the only, the only thing is like, hey, and again, how do you, would Ohio State send that message? Hey, we have all this TV money. Don't donate to us. Donate to the collectives. They could. They could. We have, enough, <laughs> we have enough money. Gene Smith has a news conference. I'm just here to say, we have enough money. Stop giving us money. I just, I can't. Boy, oh boy, that'd be a heck of a press conference. So, um, but yes, it can't. It's not direct because that's pay for play. The way it's established now, that's pay for play. Mm-hmm. That's great for the Big Ten, but that's just waterfall money, man. That's coaching salary money. That's new wrestling building, rowing building, fencing building money. It is not pay football players money. Last question. Big picture from the 518. This is our friend Brian in Albany. I think just speaking for a lot of fans here. 
Did the NCAA's incompetence basically just kill college football as we know it? The NCAA's lack of forethought on NIL has sped up the process of major college football spinning off maybe 30 teams to an upper division and the next 90 are in a lower division. The 30 will get richer. The lower division teams will fall by the wayside. It was fun while it lasted. Now major college football is just younger versions of the NFL. Will I still watch it? Probably. But honestly, while I was a huge NFL fan growing up, I have lost a lot of interest in the last few years. And I think it's because their world just seems so far removed from mine. Part of what made college football great was the illusion that Purdue could upset Ohio State and that would make it a great season for them and that the student athletes were like my kids. I don't blame Ohio State. I blame the NCAA. They are practically as incompetent as Congress. I'll hang up and take your answer on the air. So that's Brian in Albany. We could do, Stephen, three hours on that. We're going to do three minutes on that. My basic overall view is I think we inevitably were going to get here. We're getting here in the messiest way possible. And we're getting here with no control. We're getting here with everybody on the highway at the same time going different speeds. We're getting, we're going in a very confusing and frustrating way. We're all in the car, but it's much, it's a much easier trip when you have directions. Nobody likes to get lost and college football is lost right now. So I think we're just going to end up driving around for a while, but I think we'll get there. But I understand why fans are frustrated I don't think we'll ever get to the point where you lose the connection between the universities and the programs, right? So as lo- there, if you love a university and you have an inclination to then love that sports program, or maybe you just love the sports program separate of the university, they're still going to be in the same jerseys. They're still going to play in the same stadium. I think there are ways that you can find new goals for Purdue, Right? Is Purdue going to be super frustrated if they don't play Ohio State anymore or play them as much anymore? Well, maybe they'll play somebody else on their level that they have a better chance of beating more often. I think it'll work out, Stephen. I actually think it'll be okay in the end, and it'll be different, but I think good in its own way. But I just think we're in for two or three or four really frustrating, confusing years. And for that, Stephen, I do feel bad for the fans because that, like, that crap is not going to be that fun. The Saturdays, I think, will always be fun but I think we're in for two or three years of being lost. It felt like for years, it's like a weatherman telling you, Hey, it's going to rain. Hey, it's going to rain. Hey, it's going to rain. Bring your umbrella. And you didn't bring your umbrella. You didn't dress like it was going to rain. You just walked outside all willy nilly because it was still sunny. And now you're just caught in the rain Yep. and you have no gas. Your car is dead. The battery's dead. And now you're just kind of sitting there. And now you have to wait on AAA to show up and they're backed up because everybody forgot to bring their umbrella and put gas in their car and fix their car. But, and you're not going to die. No, you're not going to die. Uh, it's no, just you're going to zom- get wet. Yeah, a zombie's not going to come out of the cornfield and eat you while you're waiting for AAA. But nobody mm-hmm. likes to wait for AAA. So mm-hmm. we'll wait together. We'll wait with you. We'll be here to wait with you. That's all we can promise. And yes, it's the NCAA's fault. They couldn't have fixed all this magically because we had to get here. They held on as long as possible to this antiquated model. We had to get here and getting here to which is where players can get some money was going to be complicated. It wasn't going to be easy, but Mm -hmm. they made it as hard as possible. And for that, they have themselves to blame. They only have themselves to blame. I think it will be okay in the end, but it's going to be a little weird for a while, but we'll do it together. That'll do it for this Buckeye Talk. We appreciate the questions so much. Of course, we did not get to all of them. We'll do some more recruiting rapid fire uh, this coming week. Again, this is the Monday pod. We're going to drop it on Saturday to get it to you guys because I know you I know you care about this. So we'll be back on the Tuesday pod. We appreciate you guys listening. Read Cleveland.com slash OSU. 
We'll do another recruiting rapid fire coming up. We'll do another overall rapid fire down the line. we got a lot of good stuff planned for you guys. Try the text at 614-350-3315. We just think we're bringing you some good, interesting stuff there. And we invite anyone who hasn't tried it to try it now. Great to have Stephen Means back for a big, almost two-hour Buckeye talk. Thanks to you guys, as always, for listening. I'm Doug Maurice, And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>